0: Good morning, good morning. Thank you so much for joining me. This is the podcast, The Endurance of Labor Laws. I'm your lovely host, Leslie Sullivan. Today is episode 293, and we're going to take a look at what is called the Advisory Neighborhood Commission. I had never heard of this, but it's very interesting. Learned quite a bit. So again, this is called the Advisory Neighborhood Commission. It was formed in 1974. Its jurisdiction is in the District of Columbia, D.C., a.k.a. the Swamp in Washington, Let's see here, what's Washington, D.C., I should say. Um, It's headquartered in John A. Wilson Building in Washington, D.C., and the parent agency is the D.C. Council. So it says here, the Advisory Neighborhood Commission, also known as ANC, are bodies of local government in the District of Columbia, the capital city of the United States. The ANC, let me rephrase that, the ANC system was created in 1974 through a referendum in the District of Columbia Home Rule Act, the first elections for advisory neighborhood commissioners were held in the fall of 1975 and commissions began operating in 1976. It goes through a couple of different people and talks about um, where some of these people are from, but here's the thing. Um, You have to be a resident of Washington DC for a certain period of time before you can be um, a commissioner and you're elected to that. And also you have to be registered to vote so that's very important there. So being able to register to vote is very important and it needs to be legit. So obviously no illegals. Everything needs to be legal. Um, ANCs consider basically what they do is they consider a wide range of policies and programs affecting their neighborhoods, including traffic, parking, parking. Uh, recreation, street improvements, liquor licenses, zoning, economic development, police protection, sanitation and trash collection, and the district's annual budget. What's interesting is that many of those things D.C. has not been handling very well for a really long time. And D.C. is a very corrupt area. It's very difficult to raise a family there or to live there. And the police have a tremendous problem um, with battling crime because crime is very high in Washington, D.C., and that's our capital. So it's very sad that the things that this, um, I would say, advisory board uh, is supposed to be helping with, those are the very things that they have tremendous problems with. So, you know, this is not exactly something that actually works really well. I, I just think it's kind of more professional paper pushers because D.C. has been a problem for a long time in terms of drug usage, um, high taxation, has a high rate of crime and also has a high rate of homelessness, but yet they don't really address it, but yet they want to make it seem like they are more important than they really are. And I think that is, Um, Really sad because this is part of our nation's capital, and you would think that your nation's capital would be beautiful. It would be safe. It's not always. It's not always like that with Washington D.C., but it's because of the Democrats that have done that. Um, It seems like. I shouldn't say it seems like it is one of these things where the more money they take away from people via taxes, the less. That is actually done to protect and to serve the citizens, which is exactly what the tax dollars are supposed to be used for. They are supposed to protect and to serve the citizens that live there. It's not supposed to be a personal slush fund um, for the people that work in the public sector. But anyway, commissioners serve two-year terms and receive no salary, but commissions do receive funds for the general purpose of improving their uh, their area and hiring staff. Um I still think it's a slush fund because why why would someone do this for free? I mean seriously, and then not do a good job that that really concerns me there. The policy has come under scrutiny because of the misuse of funds by commissioners <laughs> and their employees. I'm not surprised um candidates can accept uh they they can accept campaign donations up to twenty five dollars per person um As of 2023, ANCs represent more than 100 neighborhoods. So the powers of the ANC system um, are enumerated uh, by the DC code. It says, number one, uh, may advise the district government on matters of public policy, including decisions regarding planning streets, um, recreation, and social services programs, health, safety, and sanitation in that neighborhood commission area. Um, Again, not that good stuff is actually happening. Uh, number two, they may employ staff and, ex- and expend um, for public purposes within its neighborhood commission area. Public funds and other funds donate to it. And number three, shall have such other powers and duties as may have or may be provided by act of the council. So basically the council um, can enable these people, and that's not always a good thing. Um, the agencies present their positions and recommendations on issues to various district government agencies, the executive branch, and the council. They also present testimony to independent agencies, boards, and commissions, usually under the rules of procedure specific to those entities. By law, the ANCs may present their positions to federal agencies. One of the most common cases of ANC involvement is in the giving of liquor licenses, where the approval or disapproval of the commission, despite having no legal power, represents a veto to the district government. In terms of membership and qualifications, each ANC commissioner is nominated and elected by the registered voters who reside in the same single member district as the candidate, so basically in that neighborhood. The ANC commissioner is an official representing his or her neighborhood community, meaning they represent a single-member district on the Advisory Neighborhood Commission. In order to hold the Office of Advisory Neighborhood Commissioner, an individual must be a registered voter or must be able to register to vote within two years. That's kind of shady in the District of Columbia. Um, They have uh, reside continuously in the single-member district from which they are nominated for the 60-day period immediately preceding the day on which the nominating petition is filed. And hold no other public office. In order to enter the public ballot, they must receive 25 signatures from registered voters in their district. So basically, they have to have someone on their side. And that that is a good thing because you don't want someone that just moves there, doesn't have a clue about what's going on in the neighborhood, and they just want to serve in a political office. So that last part, I actually very much agree with. Oh, and actually, um, the other one I agree with as well, they have to be registered to vote. But it also brings up kind of age old um, argument or concern about Democrats um, not really encouraging people to register to vote and um, and encouraging people that should not vote or cannot vote to register to vote. And that concerns me there with that, Um, that that bothers me because I feel like every time we have an election, it's always the Democrats that are finding a way to get dead people to vote. <laughs> you know, basically use the names and IDs of dead people um, to cast a ballot, and it's always for the, the Democratic Party. And so that's why I'm very much in favor of you have to show some form of identification, and it has to match. Um I think that every election is very important. I I don't think it is any different from voting for the president of the United States or voting for city council or governor. All those elected positions are very important. And I think only people who should have the right to legally vote should vote. If someone doesn't have the right to legally vote, then they shouldn't be allowed to vote. This is also why I'm not for mail in ballots. I'm also not for um absentee ballots. I or also um I do not agree with extending the the time that someone can vote. Like usually you only had like a day to vote and you had to show up in person. Like most people show up in person. And I agree with that. I don't agree with this mailing in ballots. I I think this last minute mailing in ballot stuff um is a form of corruption. And it's usually Democrats doing that. It's not Republicans. So I think, you know, it, it speaks to a true testament here that Democrats have been shady for a long time when it comes to voter fraud. But uh, but Republicans have not. But yet Republicans, um, we kind of get the short end of the stick all the time um, in terms of elections, because so many people just want us to roll over and just accept everything. And it's like, well, Um, If there has been voter fraud involved in something, then that needs to be addressed for for both candidates or for all candidates, because, you know, I I think it's even if my guy or gal doesn't win, I, I believe that every election should be legit, because if a election is not legit, that's not the right way to run your country, your city, your state, your town. Because if something's not legit, then that means it is dishonest, and so then, then the person that should have been elected was not elected. Like for example, with with Donald Trump, I think he should have won. I think Democrats really pushed through a lot of absentee ballots. I think there was a lot of mail-in ballots, and then there were many, um, there were many, uh, voting polls that stayed open late. They stayed open past the time that you have the the allotted amount of time to vote. Here's the thing, you know, your your employer has to let you go vote, they have to, and I know for me personally, my my employer, I mean, you know, when when I've worked for someone, they have let me go vote, and that's just you know, it's your it's your civic duty to vote. So for those that say, oh, I can't get there in time, I don't believe it. I've had jobs where I worked late, I worked early. Or or maybe I didn't feel so good. I still got out and I voted. I I don't think um, extending the hours is appropriate because I think that greatly impacts our elections. And I think you only have this amount of time to go cast your ballot. And I think you need to do it in person. That's my personal belief, because I think if you start doing these mail-in absentee ballots, I think the risk is extremely great for there to be fraud and for there to be really bad things happen. And I just I think our country is worth um, I think our country is worth more than manipulating a election like they do in the Middle East. You know, I, I think we have a responsibility, a civic responsibility to do what's right. We also have a holy responsibility, meaning God is in charge of things and you know, if you if you believe in God, you have a responsibility to do what's right. And even if you don't believe in God you still have a responsibility to do what's right. I mean, that's just kind of how society is. Like, whatever you believe in terms of religion, or if you have no religion at all, I think we all know that it really matters when people do what's right. And that when something, you know, goes wrong, it's important to identify what went wrong and try to avoid that in the future. But it seems to me like whenever it comes to votes or or voter registration, um, the liberal left um, they just don't understand morals and values, much less ethics or policies or procedures. And so they, they are basically willing to sell their soul to the devil just so that they can get Democrats in office. And that's not the purpose of getting someone into office. Like, you're, you're never supposed to jeopardize your soul, your heart, your ethics or your morals, much less your integrity, for an election. You know, it, it really matters – I think of the best way to say it is our actions matter tremendously so, and especially when you're talking about something that deals with your country, even something as simple as a neighborhood commission in the swamp in DC. Um, I think it's very interesting that DC has this commission, this neighborhood commission, but yet it is one of the most corrupt areas of the United States. Like it's just as bad as Chicago if not worse, in terms of corruption. And I think the reason why it's so corrupt is because it's it's so political. And our nation's capital should not be political. It should be our nation's capital. Our nation's capital should be where we come together from both sides of the aisle and we come together to protect and defend our country now and in the future. That is our civic responsibility. But I think a lot of younger people, and I'm not old, but a lot of younger people, they're not being told the truth about their country. They're being lied to about the history of the United States. Like, instead of being taught the actual history of the United States, they're being taught critical race theory. Well, can you imagine what kind of opinion they're going to have of their country if they're being taught critical race theory? And we know critical race theory is a lie straight out of the pit of hell. But yet, you know, D.C. and other places like Washington, D.C., they they're for critical race theory that might be a big problem because it is a problem but I will go ahead and end it there for this lovely podcast but as usual until next time I pray that you're happy healthy and whole (coughs) excuse me sorry I'm losing my voice a little bit I pray that you're happy healthy and whole that you have a wonderful day and a wonderful week thank you so much god bless and bye-bye
1: It's only left to ask. It's changed to quite a task. From the smallest depths, waves transform.